Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Melina Williams Hawes. Mom, this stinks. And mama's like, never say someone else's food stinks. It's rude. If anyone ever offers you anything, you just eat it and you smile. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I want to talk about one of my new favorite online stores, Thrive Market. I've had a great personal experience getting my food, kitchen supplies, bathroom products, you know, your grocery shopping at thrivemarket.com. And the selection is the best, the most organic, non-toxic, BPA-free, non-GMO, no artificial ingredients sorts of products at 25 to 50% off shipped right to your door. And you can do price comparisons right there on the site to see the retail price compared to what Thrive Market is charging compared to Whole Foods, for example. And you don't have to go out to the grocery. They cut out the middleman so they can pass the savings right on to their members. The box comes really quickly. I got myself some Laura bars, some green superfoods, some grain-free cat food for donkey. I got soups and soaps. I'm all stocked up in the bathroom now. You can do very specific searches on their site too. Like if you want vegan or gluten-free, you can curate to see only products that fit your needs. So you'll get $60 of free organic grocery credits Plus, free shipping and a 30-day trial membership if you go to thrivemarket.com slash risk. And don't forget, their prices are already 25 to 50% below retail. You're going to be amazed at the quality and the selection at thrivemarket.com slash risk for $60 off and free shipping and a 30-day trial membership at thrivemarket.com slash risk.
Also, if anybody ever told you that you ask the weirdest questions, I have a podcast for you. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a science podcast hosted by Robert Lamb and Joe McCormick. In each episode, Robert and Joe take listeners on a journey to discover the deep weirdness of reality and scrape the limits of human understanding. The hosts of Stuff to Blow Your Mind have a mission to make the familiar strange and make the strange familiar, to bring the weird features of the natural world within your reach and show the profound strangeness of the science underlying our everyday lives. They have episodes on things like the lies that non-human animals tell, the addictive and attention-draining psychological exploits built into smartphone designs, and you know I will be checking out the episode on the evolution of the anus. Listen to Stuff to Blow Your Mind wherever you get podcasts or head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com for eight years worth of episodes and more. Now here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin allison this is damn scray behind me now and we are calling this week's episode parents three interesting stories about good bad and ugly experiences with parents well i'll tell you we just had two phenomenal shows in lawrence kansas and in st louis missouri now the deal is with those tour dates you know, I announce that we're coming to town, and then people in those towns will pitch us their stories. A lot of those people have very little or even no experience getting up on stage and doing public speaking or sharing a true story. We help people, you know, prepare their stuff. So listen, we have a bunch of dates where we need you guys to be pitching us. So if you live in Tampa, Florida, or Orlando, Florida, Boston, San Francisco, Detroit, Chicago, Minneapolis, Baltimore, DC, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, we're coming to all those cities soon. And we need your pitches. If you go to wristashow.com slash submissions, all you need to know is there. Another thing is a lot of people at the Lawrence and St. Louis shows pre-ordered the Risk book. And then I signed their book plates, you know, those little cards that they put into books when they're new. Um, I, I, I signed them for them, but I forgot to write down those people's names so that I could sing them at the end of the episode. So if you pre-ordered the book and came up to me after the St. Louis or the Lawrence show, email me and just remind me what your name is so I can give you a little shout out on the show. And anyone else out there listening, if you pre-order the book, the easiest way to do it is just to text the word risk 
to the number 900900 and that'll take you right to the pre-ordering process. Just text to the number 900900 the word risk and that'll get you started on pre-ordering the book and then email me at kevin at risk-show.com let me know that you did pre-order it and i'll sing out your name at the end of the show now in a little bit we are going to hear from one of our all-time favorites melina williams hawes and for the first time she'll be sharing a non- kinky story on the show but before that we are so thrilled to for the very first time feature francesca ramsey on the show oh my god francesca we've wanted her on for a long time she is so charming so talented and if you don't know you should go to amazon right now to look for her brand new book called well that escalated quickly memoirs and mistakes of an accidental activist you've probably seen francesca before on decoded on mtv or the nightly show with larry wilmore and we're so excited that her new book is just out now so go look it up here is francesca ramsey now with a story we call mom and mushrooms So when I was in high school, I had very much like the tortured relationship with my mom, like the teenage angsty relationship. Think Lady Bird, but less basic. <laughs> that kind of, this kind of story. And so when I was a freshman in high school, for example, I pierced my own nose, and it was this huge blowout with my mom. Meanwhile, my cool best friend, her mom actually took her to get her nose pierced. I also remember in sophomore year, I was so upset with my mom because she would not buy me Jinko jeans, like the big flared uh, jeans, not just because they were super expensive, but also because she informed me that they were not flattering. Way to be honest, mom. Uh, So uh, my senior year, shortly after I had graduated from high school, I was working at Blockbuster, which tells you how old the story is. There was no Netflix and chill. Netflix did not exist. Uh, We only had Blockbuster and Bust. We just put it right out there, what we were doing. So my coworker and I, after work one day, decided to go to her house and eat some mushrooms. And I'm not talking about the artisanal mushrooms the psychedelic kind and so we start tripping and my mom calls I'm like shit she's like where are you what are you doing and when are you going to be home so I decide to tell her like a half truth and say mom I'm at my friend's house we've been drinking and I'm going to spend the night here because it's not safe for me to drive home I'll come home in the morning and I think like this is I'm being an you know responsible underage drinker This did not fly with my mom. I think because this is the type of thing that my, like, affluent white friends would say to their parents. You know, the parents that are like, I don't like it when you drink, but I'd rather you do it in my home. Uh, My mom is not that at all. Uh, She's more like Claire Huxtable without the rapist husband. She is very regal and poised, and she doesn't take anybody's shit she also like doesn't really have the context of recreational drug usage. I smoked weed every single day in high school and told her it was a candle, and she believed me. So, so she like flips out. So she 
comes over to my friend's house, scoops me up, we go home, and it is very clear that I am not drunk. I can only imagine that I looked like a black Powerpuff girl with like these giant saucer eyes and like a crusty perm and a blockbuster uniform on, which was probably just like really terrifying. I don't know if you've ever taken mushrooms before, but the ideal situation is that you like listen to Radiohead and maybe watch The Nightmare Before Christmas to see if they sync up. They don't. <laughs> or you take an hour playing with aluminum foil and maybe your dog does a TED Talk. <laughs> you don't want to trip mushrooms with your mom, especially not mine. So my mom was so angry that she looked like a flaming devil. Like her hair was on fire and she was bright red and I could feel and like smell her anger and it did not smell very good. And she was like, what did you do? And I'm like, well, just calm down, mom. I just took some mushrooms. They're from the earth. And I did my research. You have to eat three times your body weight in order to die if you take mushrooms. Like, very responsible. My mom's like, oh, 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 you researched. You researched. Where did you do this research? And I'm like, on my laptop. Oh, the laptop I bought you for college? And she's like waving the laptop, but it's now like a giant like parasail. And it's like waving back and forth. It's kind of like the Foo Fighters video where their hands are all big. It was just really weird. So my mom's like, you need to sober up. And so she makes me take a shower, which I, you know, sounds like a good idea, but when you're tripping, it's a fucking great idea. <laughs> like, I was like, like having like an emotional experience in the shower. My mom's like, get out of the shower! Like, because <laughs> I was like loving it. So I get out of the shower and I am like butt ass naked, having like the time of my life. I climb a bookshelf, I pull the whole bookshelf down. And then I go to my mom's like elephant cabinet. My mom collects these like little elephants from all over the world doing all kinds of cool things like drinking tea and maybe there's an elephant that's like a baker and there's an elephant that's a gynecologist that wants to talk to you about the IUD. It's like very adorable. So I like open the cabinet and I just start like smashing elephants. I'm just like, this is fucking great. And my mom is like really worried. So she calls 911. So... I end up going to the hospital and I was put into the psych ward for three days. They would not let me leave. And so while I was there, I was so mad. I was just like, God, this is so obnoxious. I had to take these like therapy sessions and everybody was going around the circle telling, you know, how they ended up here and how drugs had ruined their life. And, you know, there were people who their relationships had ended. They couldn't see their kids. They lost their jobs. Like their whole family had fallen apart because of drugs. And then they get to me, and I'm like, I'm going to acting. I just graduated from school. I'm going to college for acting, and I just took some mushrooms, and my mom freaked out, and that's why I'm here. And I'm just kind of like rolling my eyes, thinking that everyone's going to agree with me. Like, this is ridiculous. And instead, the whole tone of the circle changed, and everybody was like, what are you doing? It was like scared straight. Everyone was like, you have promise, you have talent, you're beautiful. I was like, thanks. And they're like, you don't need to be here. Like, you're going to make something in your life. Like, this is what drugs can do to you. They can ruin your life. And I had this moment of like, whoa, like these people are saying to me what I believe like my mom wanted to say to me, but she couldn't because she was mourning the death of her elephants. <laughs> and I just thought to myself like, 
wow, like this is where I could end up. And in reality, like I was going down the wrong path. Like what my mom didn't know is I was taking Xanax with my friends and I was buying Adderall off of my classmates and I had friends that were doing coke and heavy drugs. Like I really could have gone down a path of more serious drug usage if it hadn't been for that moment. And I thought about my mom calling 911 and overhearing her say to the dispatcher, I'm afraid my daughter's going to die. And I realized, like, I really fucked up majorly. And after I got out, my relationship with my mom was very awkward for quite a long time. Um, I would not suggest taking mushrooms with your mom in order to mend your relationship. (laughs) But in many ways, it did make us closer. I went off to college, and I cleaned up my act, and I decided that I was just going to be like super honest with her. I spared her all the nitty-gritty details, but I would call her, and I would tell her, I'm going to this party. Here's who's going to be there. People are going to be doing drugs, but I am not. I'm not drinking. I just suddenly put it all out on the table. And for a long time, I looked at this experience as the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And now I don't. I look at it as I understand why she did what she did. She was trying to be a parent, and she was looking at this experience as to where it could go. You know, my mother's family has been destroyed by drug usage. Her brothers ruined their marriages, their relationships with their kids because of drugs, and she didn't want me to go down that path. And your mom's job is not to be your friend, it's to be your parent. And so today, we are very, very close. We talk every single day, and I'm so thankful for that. And looking back, I say, you know what? I didn't have a cool mom I had an excellent mom, and she's still an excellent mom to this day. Look out, look out, pink elephants on parade, here they come, hippity-hoppity, they're here. When I was a kid, I used to sit up really close to the television. My mom would always make me move back because she assumed that I was uh, just really engrossed in TV. And so it wasn't until I went to school and I was sitting up in the front row, like pulling at the corners of my eyes to try to see better, that they realized that I was incredibly nearsighted. So I got glasses and I grew up in New York. I was living like in the hood and the Johnson Projects on 115th Street. And I remember walking out of the glasses store on 106th Street and Lexington Avenue. I walked outside and I could read the street signs and I started crying and my mom is crying. And a cab drove up and it had a stripe on the side of it in little checker marks. And I said, Ma, is that why they call them checker cabs? Because there's a line of checkers on the side. And my mom is crying because she's like, my daughter has been crippled her entire life. And it's like, <laughs> you know. And so my whole life opened up. And I remember about a week or so later, walking through Central Park with my dad and it was dusk and this one star came out and I looked at it and I had a concept that stars existed but I had never seen one. And so my dad is like, oh my God, this is, 
you know, so he's like, here's a star, there's the moon. And I was like, well, you know, I thought it had been just a sort of a blob in the sky. I thought it was like another street light, right? My dad was a really unique and special individual. Despite the fact that we were poor, he was dedicated to us seeing the world. So he worked two jobs, and then at night would take his saxophone down to Times Square or to Grand Central and would play in the street to make money. And he was really, really fucking good. And he made enough money between working these jobs and playing his saxophone on the street to take us around the world. He took us all over Europe, to all the capitals of Western Europe. But our first trip was to North Africa, to Morocco. And this was in 1976. So it was my mom, my baby sister who had just been born, and me and my dad. And this was back in the day when you could still smoke on airplanes. This was back in the day when first class was like, you know, just an open seating area with like chairs and a table and then cocktail waitresses running around and shit. It was very intense traveling. We were poor though, so we were in the back where everyone was smoking. And so I hid under the seat so that the smoke wouldn't get too intense. And I remember walking off the airplane in Casablanca and I had never experienced heat like that, like heat that comes and like punches you in the top of your head. And as I started inhaling, I was like, what is this smell? This country smells different than America. And we walked through the airport and outside and got a rental car. My dad had rented this uh, Citroen, which looked like a space age magic car. And it also had hydraulics so it could go up and down. And this was important to him because we were gonna be traveling through the desert because my dad was a DIY kind of guy. This was not about staying in hotels. So we arrived in Casablanca. We were there for maybe two days and went to the Medina in the old city and we're walking around and the scent of boiling snails was something I'll never forget. And I started thinking, mom, this stinks. And mom was like, never say someone else's food stinks. It's rude. If anyone ever offers you anything, you just eat it and you smile. I was just hoping no one offered me snails. I was like, fuck that. I am not fucking eating boiled snails. I'm sorry. And we bought loaves of bread and big bags of olives that came in these little, like, sort of woven containers, piled all this shit into the car, and left Casablanca and started driving. My mom and my younger sister are in the front seat. I'm in the back with the map. And my dad had marked our path on the map. And we were going straight through the Atlas Mountains over to this little town called Moulay Idris that my dad had read was like the place where all the really devout Muslims go. And he was really fascinated by Islam. So we were going to go there. And we're driving in the desert. And I had grown up, as I mentioned, in the city. And I had never seen nothing before. And this shit blew my tiny mind, okay? Because we're driving and we leave Casablanca, which looks pretty much like a city, and then there's nothing. There's a road, there's dirt, there's no plants, there's no mountains, there's just nothing. And I start tripping out about this because now I can actually see what nothing is. And when you can see nothing and you're a city kid, this shit freaks you the fuck out. So we drive for the first afternoon and we're finally right around, right around dusk getting to this tiny town and we pull over and we stop and I'm exhausted as hell so I pass out. The next morning we get up, we start driving again into nothing but now in the distance you can see these sort of gray fuzzy hills and the hills start getting bigger and bigger till I realize that they're actually a mountain range and we're driving and we're climbing up these mountains doing these switchbacks and the shit is really crazy. My mom, who did not want to be on this trip at all because she had just fucking given birth But my dad was not having it. He was like, we are going on this fucking trip. So my mom is there with my baby sister sitting in the front. My dad's driving. He keeps pulling the map to the front seat to try to navigate. And I can't read a goddamn map. So I'm just like, I don't know where the hell we're going. So at one point, my dad turns the car and stops 
and there's a fork in the road. And my dad can't figure out which way to go. My mom is like, James, I think we should go back down. My dad's like, no, 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 we have to keep going higher. We have to get over this pass. So my mom gave one of those mom looks where she's like, she knew this was not gonna end well, but didn't know what the hell to do. So we take the left path and we start going up further and further and we're driving and I'm looking at the map in the back and I'm looking out because the mountains are beautiful and craggy and gray and very stark. There was not much plant life on there, but I had, again, never seen anything like this except on Channel 13 on National Geographic. So I was amazed that this shit was actually there and I got to see it. And then all of a sudden the car just stops. I'm looking at the map, I'm not thinking much of anything, and then I notice that my dad has switched the car off, and my parents are dead silent in the front seat. My dad looks at my mom, and mom looks at my dad, and my dad just sort of looked up at the ceiling of the car and then looked back down, and turned to my mom and said, pull your seat back. So my mom, who is strangely calm, like weirdly calm, slides her seat back, and then my dad says to my mom, give Mo the baby. So my mom turns around and hands me my baby sister. My dad says, very slowly, I want you to open the door and, and you and Danielle, very slowly, get out the back door. And I'm like, but my dad's like, shh, just do it. And so I unlock the door with my elbow sort of and flip open the lock and I carry my sister out. And I'm standing now next to the door looking at my dad like, what do I do now? My dad's like, just stay calm, just stand right there. He turns to my mom and says, Marion, get out. My mom looks at my dad, opens the car door and slides backwards out of the car door on her ass. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? My dad now opens his car door, takes one foot, puts it on the ground, pulls the other foot out, and slides backwards so that he's sliding on his ass backwards out of the car door. He stands up, turns, runs, looks at me and says, okay, back away from the car. So at this point I had been standing behind the car door so all I could see was my parents in the car. My mom went around the back of the car, grabbed the baby and now she's like, and I'm like, okay, something really bad has just happened. And my dad walked around to the front of the car and so I went around to the front of the car and I looked down and there's nothing. The front end of the car had gone over the edge of a cliff and was stuck. And I backed out, so now I'm like, you know that thing where like suddenly like everything inside you like liquefies? <laughs> and I sit down and I'm like, oh, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. My father's like, no, it's fine. My mom is dead silent. She's gone from freaking out to cold as ice in like 30 seconds. And I'm like, this is gonna be super bad. My dad, of course, thinking, because he's Superman, tries to pull the car over the back, over the edge of the cliff. It's not going fucking anywhere. My dad says, okay, I'm gonna go get help. Mom's like, where are you gonna go? What are we gonna do? What's gonna happen? What are we gonna do with this? What's gonna happen with the kids? My dad's like, there's water, we have food. I'm gonna go get help, I'll be back. Mind you, we had been driving for hours and there was nothing. My dad wrapped up his head in a shirt took some water, took some dates and shit, and started walking <laughs> off into the desert and was gone. So now me and my mom, I can't imagine my mom, my mom who grew up in like East Harlem is now on the edge of a cliff in Africa with two kids thinking, what decisions have I made with my life that led me to this point? 
Hours go by, it's now dusk. And from the other side of the mountain, the path that we should have gone, we hear the tiny, tiny, tiny sound of like voices and sounds, and I'm like, oh my God, maybe someone's coming to help us. And I'm thinking, what, what happens if someone comes to rescue us and my dad's not here? I'm like, fuck it, we leave dad behind. We're gonna go <laughs> with whoever comes and picks us up. And I'm looking down the mountain and I see a cluster of men and two or three camels coming up the road. Some of the guys are walking, a couple of the guys are on camels. And as I get closer and closer, I realize that one of the guys is my dad. And these dudes are having their heads wrapped up in these turbans and four or five of them are strapped with these like massive machine guns and shit. And my dad is talking to them because my father had taught himself both Arabic and French in preparation for this travel so that he could communicate well with all the people around him. So now he's just chatting in Arabic with these tribesmen and their camels as they're wandering up towards us. And I'm like, well, what the fuck is gonna happen next? So the guys get up there and they very respectfully greet my mom and pat me on the head and they're cooing over the baby and they take a look at what's going on. And my mom was like, what the, he goes, well, they saw us go by and then when I was heading back down, they're actually in the process of taking their goats up to the mountains for the summertime. They're nomadic tribesmen and this is what they fucking do. He didn't say the fucking part because my parents didn't swear. So these dudes take a bunch of ropes and tie the camels to the car. And the camels are like, pull the car back over the edge of the cliff when we get back in. And they're like, yay, they're all celebrating, like jumping around and everything. They're so happy. And then my dad turns to my mom and says, well, they've invited us back for dinner. My mom is like, we're not going to dinner with the hippos. We are going to So we get in the car and follow these guys very slowly with their camels back into this little mountain valley where they have a whole settlement and there's hundreds of goats and dozens of camels and other kids who've never seen a black American person. So they're freaking out. They're delighted that my dad speaks Arabic. So they're having a great time and they're like, we will have a celebration. So they slaughter a goat. (laughs) And my mom is like, Jesus. Because now we fucking have to stay. Because goat slaughter. So that evening, we were in the camp with these tribesmen, and I, and I tried goat, and it actually was pretty good. We had couscous and some preserved fruits that I didn't like very much. But I will never forget going back to the car to get a jacket because I was cold and looking up at the sky. And my mouth fell open, and I felt this cold shock because not only were there stars but you could see the milky way which was something that i had read about in books but i didn't know that you could actually see because there's not very many stars in manhattan and a half blind kid who only just got glasses a couple months before had certainly never seen the night sky in the middle of that kind of openness and it was amazing And my dad, um, after that trip, because for better or for worse, while he accomplished many things while he was in one of his manic phases, was also depressive. And so after that trip, he went home and went back to bed for about three or four months. But I would tell him the story over and over again of how he almost killed us and drove off of the cliff and how beautiful the stars were that night. And that would always make him smile. Thank you.
This is Risk. This is, of course, Stevie Wonder behind me now. And we just heard from Melina Williams-Hawes. Hey, if you get a chance, go online and look for artistandpervert.com. That is the name of this new documentary about Melina and her husband. It's called The Artist and the Pervert. And it's currently making the film festival circuit. But if you get a chance, it is a must-see. And you can also find Melina at M-O-L-L-E-N-A dot com. Now I want to talk to you about forhims.com. You know, sexual performance issues are more common than you might know. The solution is forhims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men with medical-grade solutions, real doctors, and well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that can help you combat ED. Forhims.com offers men easier, more affordable access to the prescriptions, products, and medical advice they need. These are not herbal supplements. These are prescription solutions backed by science. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to forhims.com and answering a few quick questions. Then a doctor will review and can prescribe you, and everything will be sent directly to your door. Order now, and our listeners will get a trial month for just $5 today right now while supplies last see the website for full details this would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy go to forhims.com slash risk ed that's f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash risk ed also these days you can get practically everything you want on demand whenever you want it's convenient like listening to this podcast for example so why are you still going to the post office making trips there to mail your letters and packages when you can get postage on demand with stamps.com with stamps.com you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk 24 7 when it's convenient for you you can buy and print official u.s postage for any letter any package using your own computer and printer then the mail carrier picks it up just click print mail you're done couldn't be easier we use stamps.com at risk and the story studio in fact we've been using them for six or seven years now and we love it and right now you can use risk for this special offer that includes up to 55 dollars free postage a digital scale and a four-week trial so don't wait Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Our final story on today's show comes to us. It was a show that we did in 2015 in Portland. Sometimes, you know, it takes a while for us to get some of these recordings out. We've got a lot in the archives. But this was a great one that was told by Christina Bondurant. It's a story we call Closet Spaces. Let's all sing someday.
So I came out to my mom about four years ago. I'm 40 now, so it felt a little late. I'm, <laughs> I'm out and proud with everybody else, right? So um, I started dating ladies in my early 20s, and everybody knew about it. It was no secret. But I wasn't very close to my biological family. I ended up marrying a man and having a kiddo, so it was easy for me to just sort of avoid the topic with my mom. And throughout my childhood, my mom and I were not very close. We spent most of our time with either her forcing me to go to church or my not seeing her at all because she was at work all the time. And the couple of times that I did try to share something personal with my mother, she made it all about herself. For example, the first time I showed her one of my tattoos, which is pretty important to me, it's part of who I am, she fell down to the ground and raised her hands up <laughs> and cried out and said, oh no, not my daughter. What will people think of me? <laughs> A little dramatic, maybe, too. So I had split up from my kid's dad, and I was dating again, and I had met this woman who I was really excited about. Um, we were doing this long-distance thing, and I wasn't really sure if it was going anywhere, but I thought that it might be, and I really wanted to be able to share this with my mom. I was excited about it. It felt important. My mom was up visiting from California. I was living in Northeast Portland at the time, and we had just dropped some videos off at the video store. Yeah, you can still rent videos in Portland, right? <laughs> Which I kind of love about it. And um, we were in my car. And I was in the driver's seat, and I was like, I gotta, like, this is it, I gotta tell her. I looked over at her, and I was like, I gotta tell you this thing. And she's like, okay. And then <laughs> this is what I said I said, I'm kinda gay. Um, <laughs> which isn't true at all. I'm very gay. I'm <laughs> and I'm actually not at all gay. I'm really, really fucking queer. And I knew that my mom would have no idea what that meant. In my 20s, I had tried on the term bisexual, and it didn't really work for me. I very much understood and believed in the fluidity of gender and sexuality, and when I was in college, got really excited about the term queer. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh my god, yes, yes, that's what I am, that's who I am, I'm, I'm queer. But anyway, I didn't want to get into this with my mom, and so I said this thing that wasn't didn't really feel true for me and was weird, and I said, I'm kind of gay. Um, without missing a beat, my mom said, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, mom, I, yeah, I am. And she said, no, you're not gay. Um, being gay is a choice. It's a choice. And I said, oh, mom, we're not going to agree on this. Like, this isn't going to go well, so let's just not, let's not go there. She, we went there, because that's what we do. <laughs> So we spent a few minutes going back and forth with me being like, it's not a choice, and her being like, it is a choice. And then she suddenly said, I don't think you understand, Christina. I know that it's a choice because I made that choice myself. And it was like everything stopped for a second. Like there was no movement and no sound. It was just totally silent. And then I had two thoughts. The first thought was, OMG, mom, are you making this about you right now? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, of course, of course you are. Okay. <laughs> and then the second thing I thought was, um, holy shit, did you just tell me that you're gay? Like, 
And half of me was like, no, that doesn't compute. That makes no sense. And then the other half of me was like, oh, God, yes. Like, yes, of course. Yeah, my mom's gay. My mom's so freaking gay. (laughs) So we're still in my car. And she tells this story about how she met this woman after my dad left us. And she moved us from Arizona up to California. She was hanging out with this woman, and she tried to kiss her this one night. My mom tried to kiss this woman, and the woman stopped her, and she said, I think God meant for us to be with men, don't you? And my mom said, yes, absolutely. And according to her, that was it. Like, she decided at that moment to not be gay. And so if she could do that, you know, why couldn't I? The rest of the night did not go very well. (laughs) We went back to my apartment, and my mom, who's a fundamentalist Christian, started saying things to me about my role as a mother, as a parent, that I didn't fully understand, to be honest. And I don't remember all of it. It was kind of traumatizing. But she was saying stuff you've probably heard before about like my lifestyle and how I was going to influence my kiddo with my lifestyle in a negative way, and it was not going to be okay, and she was going to turn out badly, and I was not a good mother, and all this stuff. And I actually at one point thought that she might threaten to take my kid from me. And I got really scared, and then I got really angry. And thankfully, my kiddo, who was two at the time, she wasn't there. I left. I was like, well, fuck this. I don't think I said anything to her. I just left, and I wandered around the neighborhood, And I called the person I was dating, and I called a couple of friends, and just tried to kind of like process and breathe through this thing that was happening. So flash forward to this year, I turned 40 in January. (laughs) Thanks. So far it sucks. (laughs) I've had a really hard year. I ended a relationship that was really unhealthy just after my birthday. Then I cut my dad off, which is like a whole nother story and had some pretty hard times with my mom, and I got pretty depressed in the early spring. I started doing a lot of work, like growth work, healing work, having this kind of existential crisis. And what I really mean is that I go to therapy like all the time. (laughs) I'm in a lot of therapy. So one of the things that we're doing in therapy is sketching out all the places that I lived as a kiddo growing up and what those experiences were that I had in those places. And we got to this apartment. I told my therapist, I was like, this is not important. This isn't an important part of my history. But I'm like drawing it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I felt pretty happy during this time. It was like a one-year period right after my parents split. This little apartment. And I remember my mom being pretty happy. And that we were having fun together. We went to like Golden Gate Park together and we went swimming at the pool of the apartment. We got a kitten, which I always wanted. And my mom let me dress like Madonna, which was really awesome. (laughs) And she just seemed joyful and more real to me. And then it hit me that this is when she met that woman. She lived downstairs from us. She lived in the apartment directly below us. And she was also a single parent. She had a daughter about my age. And we hung out with them. We went to church together occasionally, but it was like casual. Went to the pool, went on adventures. And I started thinking, what would it have been like if my mom hadn't denied herself of who she was? That this woman had been into it. And what if they had started a relationship? 
And this girl, her daughter, who I really liked, became like my sister. And we had these two moms. And I started fantasizing about that a little bit, and, and it felt really nice. Because what happened instead is my mom decided that, yes, indeed, women belong with men. And she bought a house, and we moved in it, and she found God. If she were here, she would tell you about how the Lord saved us, about how she never would have made it without a man as a single parent, as a single woman. I feel like I never saw her again. I feel like I saw my mom as she truly is for that brief period, like that one year. And it was really nice. And then it was like, poof, she was gone. I think that's why she and I struggle so much now. Because when she looks at me, it's like a mirror is being held up to her. She sees this person, her daughter, who's doing the opposite of what she did. And I think it probably is kind of scary for her and a little threatening. And I think it probably makes her kind of sad. And that gives me compassion for her. I don't think that we choose who we're attracted to or who we love. But I do think that we choose whether or not to be true to ourselves. And I'm really, really grateful that I've been able to make that choice. And I really wish that my mom had too. Thank you. this week's episode folks this is faces behind me now and we just heard from christina bondurant you can find her on instagram at cab fears now don't forget you can so easily pre-order <laughs> the risk book by texting to the number 900 900 the word risk or just go to the go pre-order the book and let us know that you have pre-ordered it, and I'll sing your name at the very tail end of an episode. That is at theriskbook.com. We love you for pre-ordering the book. We need as many pre-orders as possible. And don't forget, we've got all these places we are coming soon to do the live show. We need you to pitch us your stories. It's very easy to do. You just go to risk-show.com slash submissions, and here are the places we are coming next. 
On May 24th, we are back at Caveat in New York City. On May 25th, we're in Atlanta. So come on out, Atlanta, on May 25th. Now, on June 8th, we're in Tampa, Florida, still taking pitches for that show. The themes are worst-case scenario or intuition or dreams. On June 9th, we're in Orlando, still taking pitches for that show. The themes are brilliance, sacred, or corruption. On June 16th, we're back in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. On July 20th, we're in Boston. And the themes that night are deadly, fake, or innocence. On July 27th, San Francisco. The themes are what was I thinking, spiritual, or under the influence. On August 3rd, Detroit. The themes are crazy, or the stranger, or animal. On August 10th, we're in Chicago. The themes are vulnerable, or mean, or cover-ups. On August 11th, Minneapolis. The themes are obsession, or dirty, or metamorphosis. On August 17th, Baltimore. The themes are rabbit holes, or me against nature, or pride. On August 18th, Washington, D.C. The themes are power, or barbaric, or opposites. On September 6th, Portland, Oregon. The themes are at my worst, or lies, or ecstasy. On September 7th, Seattle. The themes are the worst, or glorious, or breakdown. On September 8th, Vancouver. The themes are spectacle, or the rules, or full volume. So pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. People who have ordered the risk book. People who have ordered the risk book. There's Taylor Clay <coughs> and Jen Bernstein. <coughs> There's John Mallory <coughs> and Mary Birthright. <coughs> There's Brad Rothhead <coughs> and Brittany Prushaw. <coughs> There's Kurt Pierce <coughs> and Evan Glisson. <coughs> There's Kaylin Campbell <coughs> and Jeff Barr. <coughs>